traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. Your next stop, the Twilight Zone. Henry Bemis wanted more time. Martin Sloan longed to go back to an earlier time. In Back There, Peter Corrigan found himself back in time whether he wanted to be or not. And those are just three examples of how the Twilight Zone has tackled the subject of time. And there are several more. Time is, of course, one of the staples of science fiction, but I think we'd be hard-pressed to find a show that has explored it in as many ways as The Twilight Zone has. Like I mentioned, there are several time travel stories back there, walking distance and so on, and there are also the fanciful tales of what you would do if you could control time, like a kind of stopwatch. But they're concerning the manipulation of time itself. But there are other stories that examine the aspects of it that we can all relate to. Not having enough time to do the things we want to do, time enough at last. Wasting time on a life we don't believe in or enjoy, a stop at Willoughby. But tonight on The Twilight Zone, we explore what happens when time starts to run out. Mr. Holt. How do you do? How do you do? Mrs. Holt. Welcome. Welcome to new life. Please. Make yourself at home. I'm so delighted to have you. Thank you very much. Say, uh, you're 79 years old, Mr. Holt. Mm. Yes. And you, Mrs. Holt? I'm 74. I was 74 last May. Mm-hmm. Why don't we just take a look at the medical history? Great deal of sickness, Mr. Holt. Son? Sorry to hear that. Are you in pain now? Son? It's fairly constant now. It doesn't seem to let up. Which is one of the reasons the New Life Corporation is in existence. We alleviate pain, Mr. and Mrs. Holt. Oh. We make it a thing of the past. Do you know what we deal in? No. We deal in youth, Mr. and Mrs. Holt. We deal in new life. In you. Oh. Yes. New. Tonight in the Twilight Zone, Mr. and Mrs. Holt don't attempt to go back in time but they try to buy more of it by trading in their old and sick bodies for new in the trade-ins. Mr. and Mrs. John Holt, aging people who slowly and with trembling fingers turn the last pages of a book of life and hope against logic and the preordained that some magic printing press will add to this book another limited edition. But these two senior citizens happen to live in a time of the future when nothing is impossible, even the trading of old bodies for new. Mr. and Mrs. John Holt, in their twilight years, who are about to find that there happens to be a zone with the same name. (laughs) 
First broadcast on April 20th, 1962, written by Rod Serling and directed by Elliot Silverstein. I think we have a great Serling opening narration here. The camera is on Mr. and Mrs. Holt with the salesman from New Life Corp, but then it pans across the Serling and it's only slightly marred by a perceptible cut as it does. But it's a really nice opening narration and I think it walks that line well between giving us some information about the story and having that poetic aspect to it as well. Our director, Elliot Silverstein, is maybe one of those Twilight Zone directors who doesn't get the praise of your Lamont Johnsons and so on, but he does have some fine episodes under his belt. We met him first with The Obsolete Man, and then again in The Passers-By, and The Tradings is his second to last Twilight Zone, but we'll see him again in Spare of the Moment. But when we go back to his earlier episodes, I think it's key here that one of his Twilight Zones is The Obsolete Man. When we covered that one, we talked about the influence of German Expressionism on the design of the sets in the episode and the way it was filmed. And while he quite rightly put that to one side for the passers-by, I think he very effectively brings it back here. There are some great examples of it here if we look at the opening shot with the shadows of the halts against the glass of the door as they go into the company we can see the very same kind of stark expressionistic style and one of my favorite moments is when mr vance takes the halts into the room where they can see the new bodies that life corp creates for its customers why don't i show you some of the models we have models yes Models. <laughs> uh, so that you can select two that appeal to you. All right. Come, look at Let's have a look at the models. Wonderful. <laughs> now, this is our um, a youth or a, a teenage exhibition. I'm sure you don't want to go uh, that uh, young, because up here in our young adults, we have several interesting units right up here on the landing that I'm sure would be of uh, great interest to you. Thanks, Ray. Thank you, Mr. Very well. Now, this is our dual special. This is the uh, physique of a male, approximately 22 years of age. Notice the height and muscular composition, Mr. Holt. The uh, female component. We'd like to see these two go as a package. You know how greatly they complement each other? So the door to the model room opens and the screen is filled with darkness, apart from the light of the opening door and the silhouette of Mr. Vance and the Holtz. And as Mr. Vance walks further and further into the room, he turns on more light, which gives the effect of the picture becoming more and more filled with the view of the room, and the effect is just wonderful. Now you'll notice here that one of our model bodies is that of Edison Stroll, because it seems if the Twilight Zone wanted a young handsome man, then he was their go-to, because we've seen him before in Eye of the Beholder, and he's one of several men and women we see in the display corridor here, and they were chosen from a casting call that took place on the 15th of February of that year, and 20 young men between the ages of 18 and 25 were brought in, and the brief was, good clean types with well-proportioned muscular figures, and 20 women of similarly clean and healthy appearance were brought in too, and five of each were chosen. 
So let's look at this scene for a moment because even so early on in the episode I'm really enjoying what we're getting here in terms of performance. And we'll come back to Joseph Schilkraut later, but just briefly he's really owning this small space here. He's kind of filling the screen with the little looks and mannerisms that he has. The reactions to what he's being told by Mr Vance. One moment he's excited, one moment he's confused, and it's just wonderful stuff. And Mr Vance is played by Noah Keane who was born in 1920, and we only just lost him in March of this year, 2019, at the age of 98. And he was one of those very dependable and solid television actors who could come in and do whatever you needed him to do. If you wanted a cop, he could do that. If you wanted an executive, no problem. And that's where we've seen him before in the Twilight Zone as an airline executive in The Arrival. And he would always put on a good show. And I really love what he does here. He has that salesman patter. You know, he's showing this concern and caring for the couple. But he also gives it that slight edge of artifice that tells the audience that He's really just a salesman, and that's where his real care is. So a really enjoyable performance by a great actor here, I think. Now this is an episode with not much in the way of trivia, so let's move on with the story. Everything seemed great, new bodies, longer life. It all sounds perfect, but it comes at a cost. Excuse me, Mr. Vance, how much would it cost? Why don't we discuss that in my office, Mr. Holt? No, let's find out right now. Uh, how much would it cost, sir? Well, the entire procedure, $5,000 per body for you and Mrs. Holt uh, would be... Uh, $10,000? By prorating it, Mr. Holt, uh, by, that is, by figuring it on the basis of cost per year. Uh, I uh, might say it's ridiculously low. I mean, uh, 5000 per 100 years of lifespan? I mean, you must see it for yourselves. It's a very economical figure. Mr. Vance, here we are. Here, $5,000, and that's all we've got, these $5,000. Now, we could make a down payment with this and charge the rest. After all, you know, I'm going to be young again. You, you said I, I could work again. You could take it out of my weekly salary. You, I don't care how much Mr. you take. Uh, Mr. Hall, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, but government regulations prohibit any extension of credit. So what are they to do? Well, I'm going to divert here just for a moment and make an admission. As we've had a lot of new listeners come on board the show, I'll just explain something that long-time friends of the show will already know. When I was a child here in England, I used to stay up until the small hours of the morning to watch The Twilight Zone, because that was the only time it was on, and I would videotape the episodes and keep as many as I could. And the thing is, I would miss some because some nights I just couldn't stay up, and there was little care as to what was being broadcast in terms of playing them in the right order and even playing all the episodes so I never saw the complete run of episodes back in the day in fact I probably saw less than half of them now over the years I kind of caught up with some in different ways but then years later when the show came out on DVD I bought them and they were sat on my shelf waiting for time to watch them time that never came so I figured if I start a podcast, then I'll watch them. Now that was at the end of 2010, so because I don't watch ahead in the show, there are episodes of The Twilight Zone that I haven't seen for a long time, and there are episodes of The Twilight Zone 
that I've never seen before, crazy as that sounds, and this is one of them. Now the reason that I mention this is some might say we are more sophisticated as viewers these days and that the Twilight Zone, in terms of the stories and the twists, maybe wouldn't be as effective for a first time viewer because they'd see the twist coming. Now if we look at an episode like The Little People, then sure, I would agree with that. It's pretty, you know, it's a fun episode, but I don't think anyone can't predict how it's probably going to end up. It's a pretty simple story with a pretty predictable twist, but that's okay. But then we get to the trade-ins and this scene. It's a parody. I'm parody. Excuse me. Uh, the bartender told me that... Uh, <laughs> Go ahead, Bob. What did the bartender tell you? He told me that I could gamble in here. Oh! Oh, yeah, sure. There's a game now. Sure for you. Come on in. Thank you. Come on in, Bob. Right over there. I'll uh, join you myself. So John Holt goes to this little back room of a bar where there are some unsavory types gambling. And as this scene plays out, I'm trying to second guess what's going to happen here. And that's where this element of the unknown comes in that I really can't see how this is going to play out. Is John Holt a talented car player? Maybe he was a soldier back in the day and played a lot during the war so he knows his way around a deck of cards. Sometimes people we know have talents that we don't know about until the time comes when they can demonstrate them. So I'm wondering is that what's going to happen here? At first he's asking questions like he doesn't really know what he's doing. Is he just trying to fool them? We've all seen those movies. We've all seen that hustle. So we'll come back to that in a moment because as we try and figure that out, we have some pretty great interplay between Holt, played by Joseph Schilkraut, and Faraday, played by two-time Twilight Zone player Theodore Marcuse. And you may remember him for his very brief role as one of the people at the UN. In To Save Man, he played Citizen Grigori. And he's an interesting fellow, he was a highly decorated officer in the US Navy after serving in World War II and went into acting after he left. And with that bald heavy appearance and a talent for accents, he was often cast as villains, usually villains from other countries. So this meant he shows up in a lot of the genre and action adventure kind of stuff of that day. Shows like Star Trek, Batman, the time tunnel and the man from uncle and you do get the impression that he could have quite easily pulled off a bond villain type of role and it may have happened had he not unfortunately died at the age of 47 five years after this twilight zone appearance in 1967 in a traffic collision there's your 500 pop <coughs> Got it pretty bad. How long? Last, last several years. I'm going to clean you out, you know that, huh? Yes. Yes, I, I know, Mr. Faraday. But I, I'll be all right in a minute. Excuse me, I'm sorry, sorry to hold up the game. No, you're not holding up the game, Pop, but 
You are taking a big chance. Why do you need the money? Hmm. Now, go on, tell me. I'm interested. You are? You see, Mr. Faraday, I wanted to be young again. Marie and... That's my wife. Marie and I wanted to have new bodies, but cost $10,000 and we only had half of it, so I thought maybe, but I botched it. Faraday for me is another great performance in an episode that is filled with them. This could have been a cheesy kind of wise guy portrayal, but Theodore Marcuse brings the required layers to bolster Sailing's words. He does look like he could be a dangerous guy, he has this shady underworld vibe about him, and at any moment, if things weren't going his way, then he could turn on you and that might not be pretty. But then Sailing's words need him to temper that with an emerging sympathy for John. And Marcuse pulls that off brilliantly, the, the hard exterior that just very subtly cracks every now and again as John tells his story. Like Mr. Vance, he too has this fake sincerity in the beginning. He's very welcoming of John but clearly he thinks he's an easy mark. But where they differ is how charitable they are to him when it comes to the crunch. Now granted Mr. Vance has to toe the line, there are government rules that he has to follow, but it's interesting that it's the shady backroom gambler who ultimately shows him more kindness. And the reason that I mention that it is a first time watch for me is that it's a really fascinating experience to watch a classic Twilight Zone for the first time, considering how immersed in it I've been over the years. And what it's shown me is that yes, there are episodes like The Little People that are maybe quite predictable, but then there are episodes like this that aren't. It's good drama. How's this going to play out? We don't know. It's not a science fiction scene. It's just a couple of people talking. And I think this scene is a pretty great centerpiece to the whole thing. Your call, Mr. Faraday. I got three big ones, Pop. <laughs> Bigger than those, Mr. Faraday? Nope. Be my guest. You came with 5,000, you leave with 5,000. <laughs> you walk away, Pop. The game's over. Thank you. So John Holt is played by Joseph Schildkraut, and I won't go too much into his bio because we've met him before not too long ago in Death's Head Revisited. But Steve Rubin in the Twilight Zone Encyclopedia has this quote from director Elliot Silverstein that maybe explains how he fueled his performance here. And Elliot Silverstein said, In the trade-ins, Joseph Schilkraut's wife died right in the middle of it, and he was shattered, and the moral conflicts are enormous. In the one sense, you want to say let's rap and go home, and I asked him if he wanted to stop, and he said, no, no. And Joseph Schildkraut came from a great middle European acting family and he said, I've taken this assignment and this must be finished before I have time to grieve. Between takes, he was crying like a baby. How do you comfort somebody in a situation like that? It's impossible. 
but he came back on the set. So Faraday throws the card game, but ultimately that only means that John has won his money back. He hasn't doubled his money like he would have hoped. So he's back to square one, but he decides that he can't live with the pain of his illness anymore, and he will have to use the $5,000 to get a new body, without Marie getting one too. You should be the one. This is the way it should be. Marie, darling, please forgive me. I just can't stand this pain any longer. Yes, yes, of course, I understand. Mr. Vance, John is ready now. He's all ready. He's ready for his rebirth. Now go ahead, my dear. They're waiting for you. Are you, Mr. Holt? Are you ready? Yes, 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 yes. I'm ready. Yes, yes. So while John goes to get his new body, Let's sit for a moment with Marie and meet the lady who played her. It was originally announced that an actor named Ziva Rodin was going to play Marie and it was actually publicised in The Hollywood Reporter, but Martin Grams Jr. writes in Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic that by the time the cameras rolled, she would have been unavailable. But I can't quite get my head around that because the thing is, Ziva Rodin was a very beautiful but also at this point, very young late 20s actor who would have been better suited to being one of the models in the array of new bodies than playing Marie. So I do wonder whether that was actually the case rather than Alma Platt replacing her. Perhaps Ziva Rodin was going to be one of the models. I can't find confirmation of that, but it, it seems to make more sense. So more fittingly, Alma Platt played the part and she was born in 1891 so would have been about 71 years old at this point and she wasn't a particularly prolific actor with only 22 credits to her name but that is possibly because her first screen credit was in 1948 so she'd have been 57 by then so I can't really find whether she was a stage actor before that there's not a great deal of information about her Although this is her only Twilight Zone appearance, she does pop up later in Night Gallery in the segment since Aunt Ada came to stay. And if you look at her credits, there are several instances of her being credited as Little Old Lady and things like that, so I guess that's pretty much her little niche. And I suppose to that end, she's fine in this. I don't think she detracts from the episode at all if she was a last minute replacement. I do think it's Joseph Shilkraut's show for the main body of it, but Platt does have her moments, you know, most notably in the scene where she's convincing John to go and get the procedure. And get the procedure, he does. Marie, look at me. Look at me. See what I can do. So when a young, handsome John Holt comes out of the procedure, there's a nice little moment where Marie has her arms outstretched as if she's going to hug him, and John has his arms just slightly outstretched too, as if he's going to hug her. But here's another moment where the episode was keeping me guessing, 
because instead of embracing Marie, John runs past her. So is this going to be some kind of cautionary tale where John is so seduced by his newfound youth that all of his promises to Marie go out of the window? At this point, we just don't know. But then there comes this moment where John is describing what a wonderful life he and Marie will have now, but all of a sudden, she becomes overwhelmed. Clearly, there is this realisation that she's still an old woman, and how can she do all the things that John is talking about? And in unlocking the door to a television classic, Martin Grams Jr. documents a comment from Edison Stroll, who's playing the new body of John, and he says, To my way of thinking, there was a little bit of work on the script while we filmed. I know this might have been mentioned briefly, but to get the reaction on my face when I looked at Alma Platt and realised she was hurting inside, the director wanted to shut off the sound in the studio and then shoot a gun in the background, so my look of shock and surprise is real. So what is this episode all about and what's it telling us? I think in this day and age where cosmetic surgery is so prevalent, it would be easy to graft that onto this story to older people wanting to look young again. But I don't think that that's what Rod was getting at here. The episode isn't so much about looking young, but about being young. You know, certainly looking young is a byproduct of being young, but for Marie and John, it's more about buying freedom from pain and sickness, and more than anything, buying time together. So I don't think a cosmetic surgery angle, which would be quite easy to graft onto it, is actually the point. So this for me is about that age-old human desire for more time. And one of the clues to this is that at certain points, both of our main characters quote from a poem called Rabbi Ben Ezra by Robert Browning. Now it's quite a long poem, so I won't read it all, but I will read the first and last verses, and it goes like this. Grow old along with me, the best is yet to be, the last of life, for which the first was made. Our times are in his hand, who saith a whole I planned. Youth shows but half, just God, see all, nor be afraid. So, take and use thy work, amend what flaws may lurk, what strain of the stuff, what warpings pass the aim. My times be in thy hand, perfect the cup as planned, let age approve of youth, and death complete the same. Now the story of that poem is a bit of a rabbit hole in itself, and I don't think we necessarily need to go down it, but I do think that even from those couple of verses and the way Sailing includes it here, what we're supposed to get from it and his opening and closing narrations tell us everything we need to know. I have to say, maybe it's partially because I'd not seen it before, but I do think this is a gem of a Twilight Zone episode, and maybe a little bit underrated, it's not one that comes up that much in conversation, but I think it's beautifully played, all of the actors do really great work, and, and not just great work, I think it keeps it on quite a natural level for such a outlandish premise, you know, getting new bodies. And I would actually put this in the top tier of Twilight Zones, I think it is a great episode. And it was intriguing at the end of the last episode to find out what Rod Serling 
was actually going to put in it because if you recall at the end of the last episode he said this it's my own personal feeling that of all the various story areas we've tackled in the twilight zone this has the most import and carries with it the most poignance so what could this oh so important thing be that's more important than the other topics that the twilight zone has tackled and it is of course love and love for john and marie isn't about carrying on and on but realizing that part of their love for each other is that they have taken this journey together and sad as it may seem every journey does have an end but it's something that we need to accept and enjoy the unique aspects of this late part of the journey the last of life for which the first was made life is defined by the fact that one day it will be over so enjoy it while you have it all of it from Khalil Gibran's The Prophet love gives not but itself and takes not from itself love possesses not nor would it be possessed for love is sufficient unto love not a lesson, just a reminder from all the sentimentalists in the Twilight Zone. So there we are, another classic Twilight Zone under our belt. And, you know, like I said, a top tier Twilight Zone for me. So it was really nice to discover that so late on in this exercise. And I hope there's a couple more that are going to surprise me like that too. So there wasn't much in the way of trivia, but hopefully it hangs together pretty well. Now let's get to some listener feedback and submitted for your approval. This is Bob from Texas uh, responding back to you on the Hocus Pocus and Frisbee episode. Uh, good to see things back on track with the original Twilight Zone. And uh, also just wanted to comment that it was a really good uh, end cap that you had there from Harold on the 2019 new season. Uh, re- really is interesting uh, when you think about that new series that came out. I mean, as, 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 as much anxiety as that caused as each episode would come out, seeing what uh, kind of political issue they might be tackling. Um, what interesting aspect of that was that really, I think, caused anybody to listen to that to really think through what their position on a particular topic was and to uh, make sure they understood why they believed what they believed, how did they justify what they believed, and really what was their supporting their, their point of view. So from that standpoint, uh, even though, as I said before, I think uh, a lot of those were very one-sided. Um, it's still, I think, for the person who listened to it, really caused them to think through everything. And, and something that really occurred to me as Harold was going through the uh, com- compilation of all the episodes from uh, least to best. I think least was Wonderkind and best was Blue Scorpion. It's really interesting if, if you were to overlay on all those um, the amount of political messaging in each one of those. I think uh, the only outlier on that was Replay, which scored very high, and I think that was just such a good, well-done episode and good story that even though that did have some very political messaging, very heavy political messaging to it, um, it still uh, still scored high. But I think with the exception of that, if you start ranking those, the ones that are up at the top are those that uh, don't go overboard 
in terms of really hammering home some political message, and those at the bottom are the ones that uh, that hit it really heavily. So maybe maybe the producers uh, are looking at that and thinking through that, and maybe that'll cause them to uh, take a little bit different approach next season. That kind of leads me into uh, Hocus Pocus and Frisbee. Uh, I mentioned to you that really I grew up with the Twilight Zones about um, 10, 15 years really after syndication. Started watching them in the 70s as a little kid. And really really liked all the uh, scary ones, the creepy ones. But there's some funny, lighthearted ones that would pop up uh, that, that I really enjoyed. I enjoyed a lot of the Burgess Meredith ones. And um, this one in particular, probably because Andy Devine's activity in a lot of the Westerns, uh, kind of like Slim Pickens, he was one of... Uh, you know, one of everybody's favorite sidekick type guys that sounded funny and uh, would kind of do funny things and support whoever the main Western actor was in a particular show. But um, I think just in general, this really shows how well-rounded of an anthology The Twilight Zone was and how Ron Serling dealt with issues uh, from the standpoint of really covering very serious topics, um, your kind of scary campfire stories, and then your lighthearted and in some cases even funny shows and, and I think this was a good good example of that uh, you know, it's not, not one of the greatest in the world but uh, I wouldn't put it at the bottom either I wouldn't put it say in the bottom tier I'd really put this just as a uh, good example of the, the light side of the Twilight Zone and I think that's what's made this show so incredibly popular and so I just um, appreciate you uh, uh, covering this and uh, that's that's my my take on it, uh, and, I, and I loved your uh, comments as well, your your frisbeeisms uh, that you had in there. So, uh, uh, best to you, and uh, I look forward to the next episode. Thanks, mate. Bob, I have no idea what you were talking about. Everything I said in that episode was absolutely true. Um, you know, comedy. It, it's interesting with frisbee because generally people seem to really dig this episode. In terms of Twilight Zone comedies, it's the one where people like yourself, another couple of people who've emailed me, you know, sometimes people email me, not so much feedback, but, you know, uh, I correspond with a couple of people who will just sort of, who like to just chat a bit of Twilight Zone, and that's great. Um, but everyone seems to really dig Frisbee, and like I said in that episode, I did enjoy it. There was a lot to enjoy even beyond the comedy aspect to it. You know, the, the kind of beautiful, ornate, old America look to it. But comedy is so subjective, isn't it? You know, we're all kind of different on that. And I and I think for me personally, when a comedy was made, it is a bit of a factor in whether I will enjoy it or not. You know, there's all the old comedians from, you know, black and white movies, silent movies... Um, who I have the utmost respect for as, you know, pioneers of their art, but I just wouldn't sit down and watch them in those movies, but but I still have that respect kind of thing. And I think for me, the kind of watershed time was Monty Python, and anything prior to that, and I'm sure there's exceptions, anything prior to that, which would include The Twilight Zone, the, the comedy rarely works for me, you know, at best I will find the comedy Twilight Zone mildly amusing, which I did with Frisbee, and, you know, I, I do think it is probably the best comedy episode that we've covered so far. So yeah, it, it is a very kind of subjective thing, comedy, and like I said, my, my watershed I think is Monty Python, and then after that, 
all kinds of stuff from you know England and, and the US as well some fantastic comedians over there too so so yeah I think with that being a fact that it's always something that I try and be mindful of that you know it's so easy to sit here in 2019 and say well that's just not funny when in fact you know at that time people might have been rolling around in laughter at Hocus Pocus and Frisbee and people st still seem to dig it who who have an appreciation for comedy of that time so I always try and be mindful of that and not not come down too hard on on things but then again you know when you talk about well-rounded I see where you're coming from but for me this part of that rounded circle of the twilight zone is has a bit of a dent in it because I, I rarely enjoy them that much I mean after doing this show I will probably never watch the whole truth again you know because I do think it is pretty dreadful um and to be honest I might not even watch frisbee again you know I might put it on sometime if I'm watching through but I can't imagine there's going to be a time when I sit down and say I really feel like watching Hocus Pocus and Frisbee. I guess I guess we're all different in that way, but it, it does seem to be the one that really works for people, and that's great. So, you know, I try not to be too harsh on these things and, and be mindful that what might not work for me works for other people. Thanks for your input, Bob. Okay, so if you want to get your thoughts onto the show for the next episode, you know, I've got a couple of things in the works in terms of interviews and so on, but I really wanted to get some of the classic episodes under our belt uh, before I do that, you know, because we spent a couple of months there on the new show. So if you want to join in the conversation and get your thoughts on about the next episode, then please email me at tom at the twilightzonepodcast.com and I will accept emails or clips like Bob has just done there. Now, before we go, last time I was getting the new Patreon supporters in order. You know, patrons come and go, and, and when they come, I like to say, you know, you're keeping an episode of the Twilight Zone podcast on the air by sponsoring that episode. And if you go to the twilightzonepodcast.com slash executive dash producers then there is a whole array of people there a kind of gallery of twilight zone with the names of the people who are supporting each episode so if i don't keep up with it like i wasn't while we were doing the new show because i was so busy then sometimes it can get a bit uh, messy so if i've missed you out please let me know so i can rectify that but i think i've got everyone covered and the new patrons are Jessica Batres, and you are the new sponsor of Tom Elliott Reads The Howling Man, one of my favourites. Uh, the Whipple Brand, good name, and your episode is The Mind and the Matter, so thank you. Robert Zavrina, your episode is Shadow Play, one of my favourites, uh, an absolute classic. Todd Trexler, your episode is One More Pallbearer, so thank you. Uh, Stephen Geo, your episode is Execution, so thank you for that, I appreciate it. Uh, Harry Richardson, now this is where people start to sponsor the new episodes. Uh, Harry, your episode is Replay, so I hope you like that. Um, Emily Watson, your episode is A Traveller, so thank you. Uh, Brecken Wyatt, your episode is The Wonderkind. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know. I guess it depends on which side of the house you sit, but, <laughs> but thanks for being a patron. Uh, Joseph Charlesworth, your episode is Six Degrees of Freedom. Best episode of the season for me, so hope you liked it too. What's a matter? Good name. Uh, your episode is Not All Men. Uh, thank you for being a patron. Mike Brayberg, your episode is Point 
of Origin, so thank you. And Mark Fisher, uh, your episode, another one of my favourites, is The Blue Scorpion. So thank you all for your patronage. If you want to become a patron and get extra content, then go over to patreon.com slash Podcast. And one of the shows I have over there as part of the extra content is uh, called Twilight Zone Aftermath, where we go over uh, the 80s Twilight Zone and patrons join me on that show to talk about it. And it it really is an enjoyable show, so hopefully you can come on board for that. So that's our patrons in order. Next time I will thank the new iTunes reviewers once I get that in order too. So let's go over to Rod Serling to find out what's coming up next. And now, Mr. Serling. Next week on The Twilight Zone, we tell a story that we think might prove a rather haunting little item in the scheme of things. It tells of a small Mexican boy and a visitor from another planet. And it tells further what happens when this extraterrestrial traveler is faced with some of the less personable instincts of human beings, like fear, superstitions, and intolerance. Our story is called The Gift. is no longer hopeless. Act now for prevention and cure. Support your mental health association.